Hi, my name is Shlomo Salsa, founder of Purpose Creates Impact, host of the Teenage Impact Podcast, where you will find the inspiration to get over your struggles as a teenage kid. I was bullied, had anxiety, depression, had friends pass away, and battled confidence issues for a majority of my life. Whether you have the same issues as me, feel lonely, face challenges in your home or in school, I'm going to be interviewing people who overcame these struggles and provide you with tips on how you can overcome yours. By the end of this episode, I want you to rate and comment on what you think of the podcast. This will allow the podcast to be ranked higher and serve more teenagers. Hi, everyone. This is the host of the Teenage Impact Podcast. Today, I have with me Dennis Simsek, also known as The Anxiety Guy. How are you, Dennis? I'm doing great, my friend. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to uh, speak to your audience and my audience. I'm excited. Now, Dennis, also known as The Anxiety Guy, he's right now in Indonesia, correct? Yes, sir. In uh, Bali, Indonesia. People are always shocked when they hear it. (laughs) And he specializes in helping people get over anxiety. He himself has suffered from anxiety for a very long time. It started when he was young. His dad pushed him to be a professional tennis player. And from that, the coaches, the parents put a lot of pressure on Dennis. And from that, he put pressure on himself. And he felt like he couldn't fulfill some of the goals of his parents, the family, and other people from his team. And that's how anxiety and social anxiety started building up inside of him. And then he also felt like a failure at times where he thought he couldn't fulfill his purpose. And he thought that he wasn't going to live up to his dad's legacy. Now, Dennis, um, this is coming from me, but I want to hear a little bit from you on what your story is. Sure. It's, first of all, it seems like you were spying on me. That's pretty dead on. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> I, follow, um, I follow my people really closely. Excellent. Excellent. Um, you know, yeah, it started very, very young. I mean, it started at the age of three, being introduced to a sport. Um, being introduced to the um, the types of characteristics you need to be able to be successful at the sport. Um, it was on and off a passion for me. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But um, I can really tell at this point in my life that my anxiety started very, very young. When I was three, four, five years of age, I was told to go to the uh, the backboard because obviously nobody wants to play with a three, four, five year old. So I was at the backboard on the wall every day, kind of dragging the ball and hitting it against the wall and trying to figure things out. And I was enjoying myself, you know, developing a skill. And then six, seven, eight years old came around and I started to enter some tennis tournaments. And ooh, this is kind of cool, a tennis tournament. Ooh, I don't know what it's like. And I would enter it, and uh, prior to the match, there would be some suggestions by dad, like, hey, do this and do that. And I found that very, very quickly at that age, the fun part of it left. Because um, in the beginning, it was fun, and then it wasn't so fun. And it got very, very serious quickly. 
and um, I've I've uh, I've rekindled my relationship greatly with my dad, but I can honestly say that back in the day, very narcissistic, um, very controlling, and um, going through his own anxiety disorder. So I can really say that developmentally, I um, I, I attached. Uh, my my anxiety was attached through him and then growing up you know 10 11 12 13 playing nationals and i'm i was i won nationals as a junior um and then traveling around the world being where you are in tampa nick voluntary tennis academy and this and that um it, it, it was um i wasn't sure if it was my own passion or my dad's um and like I mentioned to you before we began this, sometimes I was very, very into it. There were days where I really enjoyed it. There were days where I didn't want to do it, just like any typical professional athlete today has gone through. Um, but again, you know, it's really important for me that in my own life today that I have no regrets whatsoever. And I've been able to live my my past life you know growing up um previous you know when i was younger live it over again and to be able to reframe those situations to be able to take lessons from them and to say you know what um all of this led me to my true purpose and mission in this world and that's to uh serve others in the way of helping them with an anxiety disorder so no regrets um you went through the whole tennis thing Lots of lessons learned, lots of struggles, lots of pleasure, and um, and just something that happened in my life. Now, now, can you give a specific example where you didn't feel like playing or you didn't feel like practicing to do something else, and then your father or your coach said, no, you have to practice? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it like this. You're, you're a kid who's uh, 8, 9, 10 years old, and school is done you know the school day is over and you see all your friends you're playing on the playground and they're having a great time and laughing and this and that and being creative and imaginative and and then there was this sense that I needed to be very repetitive in my after school um, plan so I would I remember actually driving away from school looking back and seeing all the kids waiting for their parents having a great time and i had to go into the sport that at that point was becoming so so serious that um i wasn't really sure whether i was enjoying it or not anymore that was a good example i remember that very vividly those times i remember times where i had to throw my trophy out of the car literally a moving car um i i remember driving from North Vancouver and going over the Lionsgate Bridge and dad telling me to throw the trophy out because I didn't give as much effort as I could have. You know, those are the kinds of things that really confuse a child because uh, in those years, you know, we are such sponges. We, we, we take in everything. And, and what happens is we develop these thinking patterns, these belief systems and these emotions that say, hey, you're not good enough no matter how hard you try and you can try and try and you have to adopt this perfectionism way of living. Cause if you don't, you have no, you have, you have no chance in this world to be accepted by others. You have no chance to, to gain any self-love. So 
um, that was a good example to answer the question, you know, driving away and looking back on the kids and, and trying to figure it all out, really. Gotcha. And you said you won a world champion or national champion by 16? Now, junior national champion when I was 12, 14. This was uh, in Canada? 16. Yeah, in Canada in doubles um, as well. So those were, those were some glory years for me. Did and then uh, under 16, joining the Canadian team and touring the world was interesting. That's awesome. But when you were doing this, when you were going to different cities and when you're winning these different um, tournaments, are you feeling fulfilled or you weren't sure? You know what was really interesting? Um, my fulfillment came by utilizing my own creativity within. I would literally um, go into a tennis match after some time. The winning part wasn't as important to me as being creative. And the way I would show my creativeness on the tennis court was modeling myself um, technically and physiologically through some of the best tennis players out there. I remember Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras and I would walk around like Andre with his duck feet and then I would try to serve the same technique as Pete Sampras. So you can see that there was um, a deep inner urge for me to utilize this, this creativeness that I wasn't able to do because of, of, of so much tennis. I remember there was a five year span in my life where I didn't take one day off, not one day um, Sundays didn't mean anything. Saturdays was the same as Mondays. You know, it was like every single day. Um, but winning was obviously nice. It was nice to win. It wasn't nice to lose. And, um, when I won, I wanted to do more of it. And when I lost, I wanted to do less of it. And, uh, I got to a point in my life where, uh, later on, after the hundreds and hundreds of tournaments that I played, there was no real feeling left between winning and losing. You know, in the beginning stages, it was fun and it was nice. But later on, I realized that, wow, my passion is really is really uh, not here anymore. And I, I took it up more of as, as an avid tennis player as, a, as I moved on in life. That's interesting because I was listening to a podcast with um, Michael Phelps and Tony Robbins and Michael Phelps was telling his story on how every time he would break a world record or every, every time he would win an Olympic championship gold medal that after, after the, everything was over, he just felt depressed, mm -hmm. he felt mm -hmm. empty and many Olympic athletes actually feel this way after when they come home everything is settled down they feel lonely they feel like there's nothing left because they have that high in the mm -hmm. very beginning in those few months of practicing all that fame and then now that fame is gone it's nothing to absolutely look did you ever absolutely. feel that oh yeah i mean it got to a point where uh the emotions were no different between winning and losing it was um it just got too mechanical. It just got too anticipated. Um, and um, I really have a lot of respect for people out there like uh, the LeBrons, the Fetters, the, you know, the, these, these athletes. Tom Brady. Yeah. These guys that are able to maintain such an enormously high physical, emotional, mental 
spiritual level of, of within their sport. Um, and um, it's really interesting to, to recognize what separates the, uh, the fetters from the people that um, aren't as good. And um, if you look at, for example, in tennis, I, I deep down don't really see a big difference between the technical aspects or the tactical aspects. I see a big difference between number, you know, top five and 10 in the world and, you know, 100 in terms of the ability to gain control over a person's emotional state and to be able to um, have control over their mental state. And when these things show up, then in the sport, they become a whole lot more unconscious and they can allow their skills to show up. The only problem is the moment you step in front of a LeBron or a Tom Brady or a Federer, you're automatically at a disadvantage because your mind automatically, for most people, reverts back to the fear of this giant that I'm about to face. And automatically you start thinking too much. And when you start overthinking, then your skills kind of take a back seat and things begin to slow down. You're not able to, uh, to become the athlete that you are. But um, yeah, it's, an in, it's interesting at the top of the sports. That's very interesting. What age did you stop playing tennis? You know, I, I was on and off. Yeah, professionally, I am um, 18, 19, 20, 21, did the touring thing, 22, 23, 24, kind of stopped, 25, hit with a massive anxiety disorder. Um, to the point where I couldn't leave my house, to the point where I couldn't socialize with people. Um, a very dark, very, very dark place in my life. And not only did I stop playing tennis, I stopped everything. Um, I put everything on the shelf. And then once I was able to gain back control of my mental and emotional state and tap back into trusting God again, I got to a place at 32, where I said, hey, I'm going to go play some tennis. And when I played the tennis tournament, I got my professional ranking point at the tender age of 32, just to kind of feel it out again, get back in shape. Um, and then, you know, I did about a year there, and then I kind of just stopped. And here I am at um, the youthful age of 39. And uh, just kind of good for your some age. social. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And uh, just enjoying it, yeah, enjoying it as much as I can. That's good. Tell me, tell tell us a little bit more about your anxiety and what you went through at that dark period of your time at twenty five. Yeah, if you can imagine, if you can picture someone who wakes up in the morning and can't wait to close his eyes at night, that was basically me. Waking up in the morning was filled with. Um, a potential panic attack that I believed was going to be the big one that would take me out of this planet. You know, I would die. Um, I was dreading that. I was dreading the feeling of having to face people with certain physical symptoms that were going on in my body. Uh, I was fearful of eating food in case I was choking. I was fearful of going into a new environment in case I was overly judged or overly labeled, you know, and um, I really did a good job unconsciously of conditioning myself into fear over everything, um, color, you know, external things, didn't matter. Even internal things, physical symptoms always meant some potential illness. 
So a very dark place where I started to weigh the difference between staying on this planet and leaving it. Was I going to experience more pain committing suicide? Or was I going to experience more pain living out the rest of my life in the state? I started to weigh both options. And the day came where I planned it out perfectly. I drove my car. I parked it to the side. I was going to drive it over a bridge. Don't ask me exactly how I was going to do that, but I found some formula to be able to get my car over the bridge. Um, and uh, that very dark time in my life came um, during the first year of uh, my child that was born. Not only was I going to have to deal with my own stuff, but I was supposed to be a good father. I was supposed to be a good fiance. There was a lot of pressure put on to me and it just started piling up and piling up and piling up. And suicide was a very valid option at that time. Um, the one reason that I didn't follow through with um, committing suicide was I had a big enough reason. If my child wasn't born, I most likely wouldn't be here right now. I can promise you that because I didn't have any reasons, right? There was just pain. But because the child was born and I wanted to, a deep part of me wanted to utilize some of the lessons that I learned when I was a child, what not to do by my father. Because that was so strong within me, I gave it another day. And then that day passed and I said, you know what, I'm going to give it another day. More and more pain, I give it another day, give it another day. Along that path, I ran into, it was almost, you know, as if there was this creative intelligence out there that said, hey, because of what you did, I'm going to begin guiding you in some way. I'm going to guide you in the direction you need to go. So there was a book on the sand that I picked up and then there was a mentor that called me out of the blue. And then there was this supplement that I took and I was like, what is going on here? You know? And I realized at that point in my life that um, what I believed was right for so long was so wrong. What I believed for a long period of time was that I needed to fight through my day. I needed to hustle through everything. I needed to compete with everybody and everything in this world. And all of that came to a standstill. And it was incredible. The word flow came to me all the time. Flow, flow, flow. And I realized that life can actually be lived with a tremendous amount of flow the same way we see in nature. And those were the beginning stages of what you see today. The anxiety guy, giving what was, he can. That was at what age? That was around 33, 33, 34 years of age when um, I began transitioning from the old identity to the new one. So you went from 25 to all the way to 32, 33 with a lot of anxiety. Yeah. So you, would you say your turning point was when your child was born? Absolutely. I mean... If my child wasn't born, I wouldn't be here. I can tell you that with tremendous amounts of certainty. If my child wasn't born, the anxiety guy wouldn't be here. I would still be stuck in my nine to five job. Um, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be 
able to contribute to other people's lives, I would have, I would have no love within me. You know, it would, it would still, I would still be, you know, I've gone through my entire life living with fear, not knowing what love truly is at an unconscious level. I believe that love was suffering. I believe that love was hustling. I believe that love was fighting. Um, I reversed that meaning. And when I did, I realized that, hey, a whole new world started to open up to me. And it was, it was, uh, I can call it miraculous. I really can. And when you got your mentor and when you started building the anxiety guy, the brand, for the anxiety guy, was your anxiety still there? No, at that point, what I needed to understand was if I was going to help people, if I was gonna teach people, then I really needed to become a model. I I wasn't gonna start something until the old me was dead, until it died, it went away. Of course, I kept a couple characteristics that I wanted to keep to transition into my new identity, but um, no panic, no anxiety, seeing the world in a whole different way, um, understanding that symptoms within the body are normal bodily reactions to what's going on in the external world um, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I knew that uh, if I was going to be a model, I needed to really be a model for people. And I didn't want to start anything while I was still feeling like even a part of me was still struggling in some way. Um, I think it's very important to model yourself around someone who's been in your shoes and is thinking, feeling, acting, and imagining the way you want to go about your life. Um, So I needed to make sure I got to that place first. Now, you overcame your anxiety. What are some ways or techniques that helped you cope with it and fully overcome anxiety? You know, to answer that question, I really, you know, I had to ask myself in my life, in the timeline of my life, when was it the easiest for me to learn? Okay. Well, the easiest for me to learn was zero to five years of age. Okay. So because this is the case, what did I have then that we tend to lose as adults? Well, we have our imagination. We have repetition. We have certain languages that we don't utilize as adults, such as color. I utilize color. I utilize sound. One of the best and the the very thing that got me out of my anxiety disorder was the word reframe, reframe. Now, reframe for me meant reframe past emotionally traumatic experiences that are still living in my body. Because I give this analogy over and over again, where in the old Ghostbusters movie, they would move into a room and zap a ghost. And when they zap the ghost, it goes into a box. Zap another ghost goes into another box, right? (laughs) And then... All those little boxes had to go into a much bigger box. But what happens when that big box starts to overflow? Um, David Snyder, NLP, that's his um, analogy. But when it starts to overflow, um, the body, the emotions start to let you know that something is out of balance. 
So reframing was the number one technique that I used each and every day. And in the beginning, I needed to be guided towards um, safely reliving past experiences that caused the snowball of an anxiety disorder. I remember reframing experiences when I was in the car with my dad and throwing the trophy out. I don't even remember it. When I think about that experience now, it's pleasant. Weird, I know. <laughs> um, being bullied at school. Um, uh, getting the F, you know, after a test. Um, the tennis stage. I had to reframe many, many different things. I can actually say that I've reframed my past emotional traumas thousands of times. Okay. I mean, this overcoming anxiety thing is no accident. You can't wish your way to overcome an anxiety disorder as many people are trying to do today. So that was one of the things. The other thing that was really important for me technique wise was sound. If I was, if these ideas in my head were affecting me at such a negative level, how was I listening to them? Well, they were very, very close. They were very, very loud. And they were very, very repetitive. Okay. Well, I asked myself, if I can listen to this in a different manner, would I be able to change my emotional response? The answer was yes. So I began to listen to my thoughts from 30 meters away. Well, I can't hear you. Like, well, you know, I do do that after a certain while and you start to become disinterested in the thought. I started to listen to my thought through the voice tone of Barney or Daffy Duck or Bugs Bunny. <laughs> you can't take those guys seriously. Yeah. Right. So that's what I did. Um, and I started to utilize this sort of imaginative um, reframing of the tones of voice of the past experiences. And a crazy thing started to happen. What started to happen was I started to begin to understand um, really specifically of who I really wanted to be in the future. Because before that, all I ever wanted to be was happy. Someone asked me, hey, where do you see your life going? I just want to be happy. Okay, well, that's way too general for this monster of a subconscious mind to take into account and to guide you in the right direction. So I began to find that I got more and more specific about who I wanted to be. And when that showed up, the vision was there and the snowball effect in the right direction showed up. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm not sure if you're familiar with Jay Shetty. Are you familiar with Jay Shetty? Yes. I've seen a few videos. Yeah. He always talks about how when he's growing up in the past few years, people ask him, what kind of things should you learn? And he always talks about, well, you should unlearn more than you should learn because a lot of habits, negative habits are forming from past childhood traumas. So like you said, after you got an F, what are those memories? Throwing out the trophy, what are those memories? Those are all things that are engraved in our mind and that Bring, a, bring some type of feeling that we have inside of us. So we shall unlearn those emotions and move forward, being aware of how we feel when we think about them. So interesting point. But what tips would you recommend for teens who have this anxiety or maybe 
have um, want to commit suicide or have been diagnosed with anxiety disorder, because I know you have a lot of techniques that you use you used to use for yourself. But what about for teens who don't have anything? You know, I, it's um, it's really interesting the the age that we're in right now. I truly believe in my heart that today's teenage kids are going through the toughest period that we've ever been through. I can, you know, I can say that with some confidence. Um, and the reason being, before we get into techniques, the reason being is I just feel like there's such a bombardment of subliminal and subconscious and conscious programming that they're becoming overwhelmed. You know, the next generation is, is going to be really, really interesting to see how they're um, adapting to all this technology and, and the top 40 musics and this and that. Um, it's really a chaotic time in our lives. Now, having said that, is it possible to create balance within? Absolutely. Um, the first thing that we need to make sure we do with the teens is take control of the first 20 minutes of the day. Okay. The 20 minutes of the day is where the subconscious mind opens up and says, Hey, what direction do you want to go? But because teens today are getting up and running to school or figuring out how difficult the day is going to be or what they have to do and this sort of thing, the habit of emotional distress is very much present every day. So we have to take control of the first 20 minutes of the day. Now, there's many different things that you can do to take control of the first 20 minutes of the day. One of the best things you can do is just to slow down. Literally, get up 20 minutes earlier and just do everything that you do behaviorally, the actions, the showers, the this and that, in a slower manner. What's going to happen is you're going to open up your mind to perceiving things in a different way as you're going about your day. It's powerful. So the first 20 minutes is very important. And again, there's many things you can do, but I would again focus on what you do with your body because what you do with your body will make a di big difference in which thoughts you attach yourself to. I also believe that teens today need to question their beliefs. They need to question everything. Um, they cannot just allow themselves to succumb to the ideas that are floating in their heads and the ideas that are coming in from the outside. They have to question what they believe. Um, these core beliefs are ingrained at a subconscious mind and body level, and they run the show. So a teen goes through their day and says, I have a feeling. And this feeling is attached to a belief that I have at a deep level. How true is this belief? And the feeling could be related to Oh my goodness, I have to make sure I say the right thing at the cafeteria today with my friends. Are they going to label me or judge me? Okay, well, how much of this is going to matter within five years, of five years from now? Very little. Um, how much importance do these people hold in my life at a deep level? Very little. Um, am I doing the best I can each and every day? Yes. So what's going to happen is you're going to begin questioning the feeling. And when you question the feeling, you begin to alter your core beliefs because now you're responding rather than reacting. No longer are you succumbing to habits. Now you're taking control of your mind, your emotions, your body, your imagination. 
And what's happening is, is by questioning the feelings in your body and questioning your core beliefs, you're actually painting different pictures in your mind. And when you begin to paint different pictures in your mind, you begin to change the way you see everything in the outside world. Nothing in the outside changes, but the way you see it changes and therefore your emotional state changes. So that's another thing I would really highly encourage kids, you know, teens to do today. And more than anything, don't feel like you have to be a part of the crowd. Don't feel like you have to be a part of, you know, you have to think the same way and do the same things as everybody else around you. Cause you can see in high school that everybody is very much alike. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very challenging and difficult in today's world to be the lion within the sheep because it's much easier to conform than it is to um, create right, and to be different. It's so true because, in, you know, as teens, I remember going to school every day and I always felt different. It's hard because for teenagers, they go into school. I think there's, um, let's see, about 75% of the year, 70% of the year. And every single day, Monday through Friday, they're seeing people for seven hours out of the day. And if they have a bully or two bullies or a few bullies and people always picking on them and judging them, then they're always constantly having negative energy and negative thoughts running through their mind because of someone that's constantly picking on them or the teacher is telling them they're not good enough or the coach is telling them they're not good enough. What would you tell those people? I would tell those people to, um, to obviously when it comes to energy vampires and this and that, um, the more that you can um, not avoid, but the more that you can stay away from these types of people, those types of bullies begin to get more and more disinterested. Um, And and that does take a certain amount of time. But I would encourage people not to move far away from who they actually believe they are at a deep, intelligent level. Um, In today's world, people are discouraged. People are picked on based on the level of their intelligence. Some people are very, very smart. Some people are asking very, very sophisticated and philosophical questions and a bully comes around and says what the hell are you talking about you know and you know they can you can tell that the bully obviously has a background as well and if you look deep enough the mom is an alcoholic and the dad has neglected him for years so can we actually blame the bully no at the deep deepest level we can't but we can accept the current situation so one thing is to make sure that you do your best to surround yourself around people with like energy, like energy, like energy, because when you surround yourself around like energy, even if there is one or two bullies, you're not going to be able to pick on 10 people, right? It gets more difficult, but two against one is, is quite easy. Um, so don't ever feel like you need to change yourself for the sake of other people. Um, number one, don't ever lose your, your incredible interest, your curiosity that we had when we were children. I have an uncle who's 85 years old and is as curious as a five-year-old still. 
And wow. I believe that's the biggest reason why he's still so healthy. He looks at something and goes, you know, wow, how can I, how can I rearrange that? Or why is that that way? Why does this work in this way? Curiosity, right? Um, and, uh, and, and continue to build the, this creative genius that you are rather than succumbing. Because if you succumb and you become part of the sheep, you become part of that, that herd, then what's going to happen is you're going to live a very miserable life because now you're gearing further and further away from your creative intelligence, your true identity. And now you're just becoming a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And when you become a people pleaser, um, the world will encourage you to be led by them to, um, to fulfill their dreams and their goals. And then you're just moving farther and farther from your own. So it's very important that you stay on the path that you believe is right for you in the face of external pain. Mm -hmm. And now one last question, because I know uh, you have to get going soon, but you were in tennis, you were uh, going to become a professional tennis player and you traveled the world at a very young age. You had that pressure from your dad your coaches from your school to do well in your sport now there's a lot of good athletes out there in high school and middle school maybe they enjoy their sport but their coaches put a lot of pressure on them their family puts a lot of pressure on them and they feel that type of pressure and it's not a good pressure because then they start forming anxiety and later on they question their existence in their twenties and thirties. What advice do you have for teens in that situation? You know, honestly, you have, you really have two options. You can really, you know, you more than anything, first and foremost, you have to have a talk with yourself. You have to have a talk with yourself. Um, the, the temporary pain that comes with um, communicating what you've learned after the talk with yourself to your coaches, to your parents is well worth it because that temporary pain of letting other people down um, is okay in the long run because you're going to begin opening yourself up to what you're truly meant to do, that sort of thing. So you have to have a talk with yourself. And during that talk, you have to ask yourself how passionate you are over what you're currently doing. Um, If the level of passion, if the level of, um, you know, um, yeah, passion and love and happiness for what you're doing isn't there at a heart level deep within your soul, then, um, then it's important to take a step back. And if you take a step back, you can begin to evaluate everything that's going on. Many times athletes today get so caught up. They get caught up in the sport. They get caught up in the expectations. They get caught up in what they need to do next and everything like that. It's just this rapid habit, uh, habitual way of living. And we never take the time to pause, step back and evaluate what's really going on. When you pause, step back, evaluate what's going on and have a talk with yourself. Now what you're doing is you're starting to learn how to think. When you start to learn how to think, you can begin to widen your perspective over your own life and what's going on in the outside. Um, And you don't have to, again, succumb to habit. 
that's what I would do. I would have the talk and then I would go through the temporary pain of letting the other people know that, hey, yeah, this really isn't what I really want to do or this really is what I want to do. Deep in my heart, I feel like the pain um, just makes me thrive. You know, I, I really enjoy what I'm doing. Then fantastic. Keep doing that or else we're not going to have the people to look up to in the future, the athletes and the this and the that. And who knows? Um, you may uh, be successful, you may fail, but either way, you know, in my opinion, there is no real failing because you're going to gain a tremendous amount of lessons that you're going to be able to apply uh, towards your family and to teach other people and such. I can honestly tell you that if I wasn't, and I, I cheated in my recovery from anxiety disorder, I cheated, um, not consciously cheated, unconsciously. Because I developed certain traits and, and, and characteristics that I tapped into to be able to take me from a place of pain to pleasure. I understood relentlessness. I understood commitment. I understood patience. You know, I've hit probably a million forehands in my life. And you don't just get a good forehand shot uh, by doing it a few times. So those are characteristics that I brought to my recovery, my healing. And then once I tapped into that, then everything else seemed to fall in place. Because in the beginning of the journey, I can tell you this, I didn't believe I was going to change. You know, looking back on the day where I parked the car and was going to commit suicide and months and months and months after that, feeling the same way, I didn't believe. I had no belief in myself. When did the belief show up? The belief showed up as I continued to embark on this journey, continued to fulfill myself with tremendous faith and trust in my healing. That's when I started to believe. So belief doesn't show up in the beginning of the journey for most people. It shows up as you're progressing through the journey. It's true because and the last person I interviewed, he actually attempted to commit suicide. And when he woke up, he, the first thing he felt was regret. And most people who attempt to commit suicide, whether they're jumping off the bridge, from what I hear from different interviews, they feel regret as soon as they try to attempt it or they fail at it because they know that there's more to life than the current situation that they are in. Dennis, do you have any last tips? To tell you the truth, um, I would really encourage people to, uh, to, like I said about teens, to question what they think, to question what they believe, to question their actions today, to question what other people are telling them, to question where they're getting their information. I mean, if we're going to move forward in this world, we're going to have to clean up our past. Mm -hmm. Until we clean up our past in terms of what we believe at a deep level that's causing us to react and respond to the world in this way, nothing's going to change. I don't care how motivated you are. I don't care how many quotes you watch or listen to every single day. Uh, I, I don't care how much information you're taking. If you're not questioning, you know, taking a step back and questioning what you believe and and where your life is going, um, and what really caused the, the, the snowball of distress in your life, then uh, there, nothing is going to change. 
And where can people find you, the, the Anxiety Guy? Yeah, you can go on iTunes, Anxiety Guy Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast there. Um, on Stitcher as well, the Anxiety Guy Podcast. I also have a second podcast called the Health Anxiety Podcast Show, so related to hypochondria. But if anybody wants to get in touch with me or learn more about my programs and such, and my blog, anxietyexit.com. Anxietyexit.com has um, a lot of resources for people suffering from anxiety. I love it. I love it. And for my followers, if you haven't done so or you're tuning in for the first time, go ahead, subscribe to the Teenage Impact and also rate and review if you haven't done so, trying to inspire as many teenagers as possible to overcome their struggles in life. It's great work, man. It's great work that you're doing, honestly. It gives me tingles. So (laughs) I'm really proud of you. (laughs) Dennis, I appreciate it. Thank you, my friend.